in the case that we're wrong and the pensions still fail, um, we're going to do another episode on what kind of cat food is the best type to purchase for your uh, pantry in the case yep. your pension fails. We got some uh, retirees that very well may be eventually eating cat food. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Thanks for joining us again here on the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. In this episode, Dan and I are talking about pensions, specifically firefighter pensions. But if you are a pensioner yourself, some of this information might be very relevant for you. A little fair warning here. This one does get into the weeds with some pretty boring pension related stuff. And if that is not your cup of tea or you don't have a pension and you have no interest, we would recommend you skip this one. If, however, you want to find out how potentially fucked all of these pensions are, Go ahead and listen on. And if you are a pensioner and you don't want to eat cat food, please keep listening. As always, you can follow us on blue underscore collar BTC on Twitter, or you can shoot us an email at blue collar Bitcoin podcast at Gmail. Enjoy. All views and language expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. All right. Kids are in bed. Uh, Wives are relegated to the upstairs confines of both our establishments. The kitchens. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and we're uh, we're in our respective basements ready to rip off tonight. The intention being pensions. Pensions is the topic, Josh. Yeah, it's something we think about a lot. And it's been kind of in the news lately with uh, Houston. Houston firefighters pension getting a little bite of the apple, putting a little bit on their balance sheet courtesy of Nidig. It is a very small bite of the apple. I know the hype has been significant, been a lot of chatter amongst the Bitcoin Twitter community about this uh, pension purchase. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did look at some of the numbers. So Houston Firefighter Pension Fund is a $5 billion under management fund. They took a $25 million position in Bitcoin and I believe a little bit of Ethereum, which puts them at at a half of percent exactly. allocation. Yep. And it, they didn't reveal what that allocation was between the two assets or the asset and the shitcoin. Yeah, it's a small position. Uh, for anyone listening to this, you, you think that 0.5% of an allocation doesn't really matter, but it actually can have a substantial difference in the, in the performance of these kinds of funds over the longer term. And uh, we'll dig into that a little bit too. Um, but yeah, it, I think it's... This is the first public pension plan that I know of that has taken a position in digital in the digital asset space. And uh, I think it's just the precursor of things to come personally. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, it's significant. I mean, I think it's especially significant for us in this podcast because it's a firefighter pension fund that acted first. Makes complete sense. I mean, firemen are literally the best people on planet Earth. We're yeah, total we don't angels. do any wrong. Um. It's also applicable in that 
I think we've alluded to this on the show before, but you, Sir Josh, are on our pension board for the agency we work for, which yes, shall not I be am. named. But uh, I'm I'm excited to hear your insights and pick your brain because you uh, you do know the ins and outs of uh, at least how pensions work in the state we reside. It's funny that I brought this up in 2017 when I first started getting an inkling of what all this stuff was about. I remember really well. It was August of 2017. I'd been I was just a freshly born Bitcoin advocate a month in and I was I brought to the the, the pension fund uh it was our August meeting. And the investors always give their spiel about what's going on in the markets or whatever. And after the meeting, I was I didn't dare bring it up in the meeting because I knew at that point especially this was completely laughable to these people like what you you wouldn't even broach the topic of bringing bitcoin into the pension fund this millennial really just ushered us uh, yeah. utter the b word i mean those guys just now honestly it, it, they had heard of it but he gave me the look of like oh, oh here we go it, i think that i got the feeling at the time it would be like somebody coming up to dan or i and being like hey have you heard of shiba inu and we'd be like okay all right buddy don't get <laughs> yeah. hurt walking down the stairs okay because uh you're going to get hurt. That's exactly the kind of mentality that this guy had looking at me after I asked him if he had heard or thought about it. And he basically said, yeah, it's interesting, but um, I don't really know a whole lot about it. It just wasn't really on his radar whatsoever at the time. But man, has that changed? Yeah. Narrative's changing a lot in the institutional space. One thought I wanted to throw out before we get too deep. I'm pretty sure we're going to piss every, every we're either going to bore the audience to death, or we're going to piss everyone off that's that's listening to this episode. This is a complete lose. If I have to choose between so those two options, if you're it's already, definitely piss everybody off because pissed off audience yeah, is oh, more engaged sure. than a bored audience. So go. So if you're already bored out of your mind, turn the episode off. Go find an earlier episode of ours, or go listen to Marty Ben or Preston Pish or whatever. If we have captured your attention and pensions are applicable to you or interesting to you. Here's what I mean by the lose-lose proposition. So if you're a Bitcoiner, it's extremely likely you think that government pension plans are total Ponzi clown shows, and we completely understand. <laughs> we're, not, we're not saying we totally <laughs> if disagree. We, if we, if, if uh, one of the two of us worked in the private sector, we would quite likely feel the same way. So that side of the audience is just frustrated that we have a government pension plan to begin with then the other side of that the audience let's say they're firefighters or first responders and and members of this audience feel entitled to a pension well we're going to ruffle their feathers because we're going to expose some of the insanity behind the unfunded liabilities and growing issues in the whole idea of pensions to begin with i'm sure tonight yeah i think that's a pretty accurate summation of what's about to happen here so it's lose lose which means i'm going to do this and uh, go uh, into the uh, <laughs> beer war chest before we keep rolling. What do you here. got there? This is a Next Coast IPA by Goose well, Island. Good. I'm actually in a little bit of a cabernet um, uh, tonight. I'm feeling like we're talking about pensions. This is going to be a little more mellow. I thought maybe I'd break out some house wine. Why don't we start with enumerating? why the future is potentially concerning for the idea of defined kind of uh defined benefit plans and pensions i think that 
it's even uh, it's not just defined benefit plans. I think both of us would agree that the biggest problem we're staring down the barrel of is that these these defined benefit plans are at least in at least in Illinois where we're at, and I think probably most of the country, they're all forced to allocate some percentage of their portfolio, however much, to fixed income, which gets them in the government treasuries, government bonds space, which is, I think we'll both agree, a very, very sketchy place to be these days. It's it's mm-hmm. it's similarly it's exactly the safest place, at least at the moment, people view as the safest place. But I think people that are really looking under the hood are starting to come to the realization that the safe place to park your money might actually be one of the most dangerous places to park your money in the next 10 years. And that that is a substantial piece of why we're very concerned about these pensions. I mean, the unfunded side of it is a problem, but that's a more case-to-case problem. Some of these pension funds might be over 100% funded. Uh, a, a lot of them are not. But either way, they have a good substantial allocation to this fixed income instrument, probably between 20 and 30, maybe even 40%. And if you've got 20, 30, 40% of your assets under management that are suddenly broken or worthless you have a serious problem in the next 10 20 years yeah these mandates are total handcuffs and this is something we've gotten into with in both of our episodes with greg foss just talking about the likelihood of a fixed income or bond market implosion in in our lifetime and take a while for somebody that doesn't understand the bond market, but essentially the 40-year bull market on bonds is over. I mean, you you look at a 10-year treasury that's moved from double digits all the way, what is it today? Somewhere around 1.6%. Yeah. I mean, this the, the trade that has existed for decades on end, the reliability that bonds have presented, that is over, especially in an inflationary environment where a ton of money is getting printed the real returns on this stuff are negative. And so now I'm just regurgitating FOSS, but you know, he kind of runs through this math and says, all right, so let's say you have, let's, let's say you have a 60, 40 portfolio and uh, that 40% needs to be in fixed income. And optimistically, let's say that that fixed income allocation is earning 3%. And then the other 60% is going to be in equity. Well, if 40% of your portfolio is only yielding 3%, and let's say your compound annual growth rate, the actuaries are saying that needs to be 8%, well, that 60% that's in equity needs to absolutely kill. You need to be 10 plus percent if the actuaries have you at an 8% rate of return. And and let's say they have you at a 10%, now you're needing 12% on that equity. Those numbers are far-fetched. And I might add, if if those numbers are hit, it's going to be because of all the money printing right. and money insertion. And the, the the secondary problem is going to be, let's say that these these pension funds are able to hit that eight percent. Well, if the CPI print right now is five percent, we all know it's higher than that, and these numbers keep going up, and inflation continues to be an issue. That eight percent year over year is not going to be enough to be sustainable income for these these pensioners that are expecting to retire on it. That's a fundamental problem as well, is that 
the measuring stick that we use to measure all of these instruments, everything is measured against the dollar. Everything is compound interest in dollars, 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 all the way to the bottom. And if that that ruler that you're using is is changing constantly, it's getting smaller. You're 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 ineffectual in your ability to actually predict what is this 12% compound interest actually mean over the next 25, 30 years. It can look like a massive number, but in real purchasing power terms, it it might be meaningless. It might literally be, I mean, Zimbabwean hundred trillion dollar bills. I mean, I think that's an extreme example, but it's uh, and you'll get a lot of eye rolls from people that you know are in academia and will say there's no such thing as hyperinflation in a first world country. Well, we've seen it in the last century happen in multiple first world countries, and this is not something that's impossible. It's a very real possibility. And it's something that you should think about when you're positioning your money and using things like Bitcoin to hedge yourself against those kinds of outcomes that could be crippling for people. I think what's so hard for fund managers to understand, too, or to adapt to, Josh, is that this is an allocation that has worked in the past. Like if you're managing a portfolio in the you know, late 70s, 80s, 90s, Having 40% in fixed income makes total and complete sense because in a higher interest rate environment where you're, you know, real and obviously nominal, your yields are substantive. That's a great way to pad and secure a portfolio. It's just that trade has run its course. Like I said, that 40 year bond market is bull market in the bonds is over because rates are at zero and they're not going any lower, at least not in a substantive, meaningful way. And so, it's time to change that allocation, but these, especially these, you know, government institutional funds are some of the slowest moving slugs in the universe. Well, you have to remember too, the people that are the fund managers, I'll even use ours as an example. They're not going to do anything outside of the box or anything dangerous because if they do take a step out of the box and they get hit by a train, they're going to lose their, their customer. They're going to lose their, I mean, when they blow a fund up, that's their livelihood on the line. Nobody wants to step outside the box and do something that's considered unsafe or something um, completely out of the realm of normal because if you make a mistake in that realm, you're game over for you. Your entire investment company is going to be wrecked because nobody's going to trust you. So all of these guys that have been in this market for 30 years have been acclimated to exactly the the wrong situ- the wrong way to handle the situation that's coming at us and making that pivot is extremely dangerous when your livelihood is on the line if you make a mistake during that pivot for sure the chances that these managers are going to want to be the first mover is slim to none a michael saylor like is a perfect example like he's just a guy who has massive balls of steel he has you know the controlling votes for his whole company which is very unusual as well and he's got the macro background and just the in- incredible intellectual ability to put it all out there and just say, this is the way it's going to happen. And I'm going to call it and fully send it. And it's admirable, but I think a lot of people think he's crazy. Balls of steel. Okay. Big ones. Balls of steel. Yeah. What he's done is insane. I mean, I, I, Obviously, based on what we think is going to happen with the valuation of this network and protocol, that is what Michael Saylor has done 
is going to go down as one of the most incredible yeah. financial moves in human history, in my opinion. I think he's Tom Brady. He's on the 10-yard line of in his touchdown. His end zone is behind him. He's backing up all the way to 99 yards away, throwing a 99-yard He's on defense. Yeah, Hail too. Mary across the entire field. <laughs> and it's looking real good. We're, we're watching it. Oh yeah. It's look, it's going to be a catch. Yep. It's insane. So, the other elephant in the room is just the fact that and this is switching gears a little bit on pensions, but I like to say that these plans these defined benefit plans, they're either these allocations are either going to need to perform or these funds are going to perish because a lot of these pensions have their back completely against the wall. I pulled some numbers. This is actually from an article that you linked in a paper that we wrote together oh, a couple years ago. One. For guys that we work with, uh, we're not going to get into the weeds with this, but Josh and I shared a major concern about the trajectory of some legislation behind the pension fund for our fire department. And we wrote an essay together, got a little bit of attention, a little bit of traction. We're not going to go into the specifics of what that was, but you actually linked this article in that paper. And so Illinois is the most extreme case. And once again, not to get into Illinois pension code too deep, but our fund is actually not state funded. We're funded municipally as firemen. But when we look at the state pensions in Illinois, the, the five state pension systems are holistically 39% funded. And I think that number has gone down since this article was published <laughs> uh, with an unfunded liability number of $97 billion. Okay. So, wow. Put quite simply, what that means in layman's terms is that Fucked. these pensions are paying out way more than they're taking in, and the math is not in their favor. And I guess you can kind of fill the audience in more on what it means to be this percentage of funding, but I, I know a lot of actuaries say 70%, 80% is appropriate. Ultimately, the goal is 100%. But in Illinois, with these five state pension funds, I know the goal by 2045 is mandated that they're 90% funded, as what I saw. Point being, we're talking, we have massive existing unfunded liabilities, tens and tens of billions of dollars. That And, and to catch up, right, to where this needs to go, we're talking tens to hundreds more billions of dollars. And massive is, outperformance. Yep, which is going to land and is currently landing on taxpayers. And so the fact of the matter is, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a policeman, whether you're a fireman, whatever you're doing, wherever you're employed and guaranteed a pension, however much you think you're entitled to a pension, I promise you that if the math doesn't work and these unfunded liabilities get continue to escalate totally out of control and burden taxpayers to the nth degree, the legislation is going to change and what you're guaranteed right now is going to adjust. Downward. <laughs> <laughs> Not upward, folks. What were you going to say there a second ago? No, what I was going to say there is the actuary, the actuaries, I mean, they factor in everything from like average death rates for people, how old they last or how long they last after they retire. And they factor in how much new entrants are contributing. And I mean, it's very, it's a very complex equation that they, they do every year for each fund. And obviously 39% is extremely 
negative. I mean, we are far, far below in agglomation of all these funds together. I mean, the the unfunded liabilities are crippling. And then you add to the on top of that that Illinois is bleeding taxpayers year over year because people are leaving because of high taxes and the compound effect from people deciding to leave because they're getting murdered with their property taxes um, is not helping the situation. And then on top of all of that, the last 10 years have been incredibly good in the stock market (laughs) and a massive 10 year bull run. And we're still watching that the amount that's funded bleed away. I mean, when there's like a real downturn, if, if that could ever happen again, you know, if they'll let it happen, it's going to be, it's going to be bad. Yeah. I mean, the growing burden on taxpayers is, is pretty, pretty insane. I mean, so from this same article and, and once again, we're talking specifically about these five state pension funds, just as an example, but I know this is a indicative of how it's working in a lot of different states for a lot of different funds. So in 1998, this article was saying that government workers at that point were paying 40% of the pension contributions. Today, when this article was written, which I think was in the 2000 teens, they were only paying 21%. So the taxpayers, to put that in reverse, in 98, taxpayers were contributing 53%. And it's estimated that by 2045, they're going to be paying over 80%. So the point is... Damn. To bring this back for somebody that's like a little lost here, the math's not working. The guaranteed payouts are exceeding what's coming in. And what that's equating to is growing burden on taxpayers. And so if this burden continues to grow and these unfunded liabilities get to the, the level of insurmountable, it's just inevitable that the legislation is going to be put in place to change how these systems work to relieve that benefit from the taxpayers. Back to my main thesis. When you look at these portfolios, they need to perform or they are not going to exist into the future. Yeah. Cue the Kraken. Cue Bitcoin. I was just going to say, so we presented, we've had just talked for 20 minutes about a big problem. Everybody, any asshole can find a problem, right? Anyone can identify this as a problem, but very few people want to have the uh, the conviction or uh, the ability to want to actually solve this problem. And so I think there's a couple of different ways we can help solve this problem if anybody's listening out there. I, I don't think many people are still listening, Josh, but for <laughs> those that are. So there's a couple of things, and I, Dan identified one of them, obviously. Like, we're not going to talk about Bitcoin here. That's pretty fucking obvious. The first thing, though, and at least in, in Illinois for our pension fund, we are mandated to hold 35% of dog shit unfun- or uh, non-performing assets on our balance sheet, i.e. government bonds. And high-risk bonds, you know, high, high-risk corporate bonds paying like a joke of 4%, taking on all that risk for 4%, which is insane. So the number one thing I think we should be doing here is we need this legislative change in order for us to bring that minimum down to like, 10% or ideally zero. Like we shouldn't own any of this stuff. It's Wait, absolutely I got a quick insane. question here. So is this mandate within our fund of 35%? Is this thing, can it be in any fixed income or is there a certain mandate for municipal fixed income and state? My, like, is, my understanding is, it have, is it's is just a certain amount of it income. have to be government 
funds? I don't believe so. I believe okay. it just has to be fixed income. So okay. some sort of uh, bond issued by some kind of entity. A lot of it's municipal, some of it's uh, state, and a considerable amount of it is federal. Can it be debt that- issued by MicroStrategy? <laughs> Great point. That's a good question, and I'm sure it can be, yeah. And we should probably just move that 35% straight into MicroStrategy convertible bonds for All right, uh, that's your homework the next 10 years because that's obviously going to be much easier to do than getting this uh, legislative change, which was, which will probably never happen. So solution number one, which is probably outside edge of never going to happen, it's cute, but they're not going to lower that for us. The other one is I did a little bit of sleuthing around uh, to back back test portfolios with a couple of different uh, portions of Kraken stuffed into them. Okay. So if we took our, so basically what our pension fund consists of, and this is extremely basic, it's, it's consists of a lot of other shit too, but just to keep things really simple, the vast majority of it is S and P 500 on the equity side, probably like 70% of the equity side is S and P 500. So I constructed a very simple portfolio here. It is a Vanguard S and P 500 at 65%, which is exactly what we have for the most part. And then a bond portfolio by uh, PIMCO for the other 35%. Over the last five years, hold on, drum roll here, that has returned actually really well, 12.48% over the last five years, right? So if we decide, because we can't move that equity position around or that equity, the uh, fixed income position around, I decided, let's see what happens if we just insert 1% of the Kraken into this portfolio and backtest this over the last five years. What we're looking at there, and because I couldn't put actual Bitcoin into this, I had to use GBTC because this program wouldn't allow Bitcoin, but this is close enough. But GBTC, just so everyone understands, is not as good as owning Bitcoin because it's a 2% fee every single year. So you're bleeding 2% of your returns every single year, but you're still outperforming our fund with only 1% allocated to this. And we're at 16.72% with 1% Bitcoin. Wow. And that beats it by 4.24% over a five-year period, which compounded over a longer period of time, say 30 years, we're talking about a, a magnitude shift from what we would have with that standard portfolio to 3.3 times the portfolio size after 30 years. A massive, massive, substantial shift. Something big enough to completely fund this thing, assuming everything goes similarly to the, to the last five years, which is a huge, huge question mark. But I mean, that is just an incredible incredible movement for a 1% allocation to one asset. Yeah. And first of all, that's incredible. Secondly, there's probably a portion of the listenership that's thinking, well, we're not just going to transpose past performance on the future, which is, I think now the time to address why this is such a wonderful trade to take at this day and this time, you know, back to, to Greg Foss, just talking about this is the most asymmetric trade he's ever seen. And he thinks the best buying opportunity is now. Like he said that in the 40,000s. I know he still feels that way in the 60,000s. I mean, a lot of the FUD, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt has evaporated. 
This thing is mainstream. It's institutional. You have companies like NIDIG who are able to onboard these institutions. I mean, there is no chance in hell that the Houston Firefighter Pension Fund would have bought Bitcoin had things like NIDIG not been in existence. There's no, there's no chance that those boomer fund managers were going to go out and buy Bitcoin on Coinbase and cold store it on a wallet and manage that all themselves. So you have these on-ramps like NIDIG. And then beyond just mainstream adoption and sovereign nation states being in large part kind to this, at least in the West, you just get back to Bitcoin fundamentals. I mean, you're looking at the best store of a value asset in our humble opinion that's ever existed. It's programmed to perform in an, in an inflationary environment. It has the largest freaking addressable market of any asset that's ever existed in human history. It's wildly asymmetrical is basically my point. So as a hedge position, and I am using the word hedge in case there's a fund manager out there that thinks that we're, we're advocating for 40% Bitcoin allocation. We're not. We we're are. just saying, let's get, yeah, we are. <laughs> let's just get off zero. Let's go from zero to 0.5% or 1% or 2% or 3% or whatever that number is, because this thing is, this thing was made for pension funds, Josh. Here's the other side of this. So I thought to myself while I was looking at these numbers, like, wow, that is pretty incredible. And it's going to sound unbelievable to people. So I thought, how about I backtest this and buy Bitcoin at the worst possible time? I allocate 1% at the peak in 2017, right? I love you. <laughs> so I took, actually, I couldn't hit the peak because the, the software I used started only on a yearly basis. So I had to buy January 2018. I looked at the price on January 1st. It was around $14,000. So pretty shitty time to buy Bitcoin overall in the last five years if, you know, at, during that time. So if this portfolio allocation was made on January 1st of 2018, it would have underperformed the uh, portfolio that we currently have by five basis points. If so you bought at the worst possible if time. If you bought at yeah. the worst possible time. So it's, and and on top of that, so I don't the audience might not be familiar with what a sharp ratio is it's basically testing how much uh volatility or how much risk you're putting on with a trade um with the with the assets you've got on and the the sharp ratio for that thing at one percent is actually exactly the same as with the 60 40 portfolio we're talking about so that one percent doesn't change the risk inherent and at the worst possible time you lost five basis points which is five percent of one percent and I did one more thing because I couldn't stop there. So I had to decide, I had to see, well, what, what is, what happens if we do 5%? So if we did the same portfolio, we just moved the equities to uh 60%. We put 5% in Bitcoin over for the last five years, the average compounded return over the last five years would be 28.84%. Smoking and blowing out of the water, the standard 12 12.48 by 16.36%, which would in 30 years, and again, this is all theoretical, back-tested, and there's no way anyone could say this is for sure going to happen in the future. You just can't. But we would be looking at a factor of 7.3 for the total amount of money under management in 30 years. And this, this could pay. To put it all back into perspective, the fund that we're talking about, because this is kind of a microcosm of all this, the fund that I know pretty well, 
it's around 70% funded, which is great. This would put with the 1% allocation, mind you, this would put it at 247% funded by the year, uh, 2050 or so with 1%. With what? With one percent? With one percent? With 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 five percent? It would be like seven hundred percent funded. It would be ex- we'd be having to like I don't know. Pay we'd be running back. our own. We'd be running our own hedge fund that would hold all Bitcoin. It's <laughs> wild. It's really wild, man. Like what a small allocation of this could do for your portfolio. Yeah, I know there are a lot of fund managers that are moving into assets they never have before. I actually have a friend that sent me an article from the Wall Street Journal. The whole premise of the article was that pension fund manager is having to move into asset classes he never has before, taking more risk because there's just no way that these conservative portfolios are going to perform. So I know more people are going to start thinking this way. I think we would both agree. One interesting thread to pull on here is that Every single pension fund in existence in 10, 20 years is going to hold Bitcoin. Absolutely. Like that's, that is, in my humble opinion, an absolute guarantee. At this point in time in 2021, this sounds far-fetched. This is going to sound anachronistic as hell if somebody listens to this in 10 or 15 years. They're going to be like, mm-hmm. of course every pension fund holds Bitcoin. If they, if they still exist, I guess, is the big asterisks there yeah it's but whether these funds survive not to be hyperbolic seriously could depend on whether they take this allocation or not because i think on the current trajectory we both feel the same way that given a long enough time scale they will fall unless a serious adjustment is made i agree i'm gonna beat this dead horse one more time and it's just to highlight how incredible how much upside there is versus the downside and for any of this that we're talking about and it's again very small allocations but that five percent so we talked about the one percent over the worst case scenario time frame was only losing five five basis points over that three-year period the five percent portfolio is only down 19 basis points even though you took a five percent allocation to bitcoin at the worst possible time you're only down 19 basis points and at this point I think in the next couple of years, you'd be massively up, but it's just the risk to reward for taking a small allocation in, in, a, in an institutional fund like these pension funds we're talking about is an absolute no-brainer at this point. Like it, yeah. I think you're going to be, if you're a fund manager running a pension and you introduce this idea and maybe start them off at like 0.5%, kind of like Houston is doing, you're going to be a fucking hero in five years. And I would also say, please do not rebalance this. Let that 1% ride. If you rebalance it, you're just going to kill the golden egg. Yeah. Like, when you think about this whole institutional discussion, it's no one, I mean, it's it's super telling that Harvard, Yale, and Brown, for example, are buying Bitcoin in their endowments. Like, this is kind of the same viewpoint that they have. They're like higher education could get a little dicey in the next 10, 20, 30 years with where education's headed. And we want to continue to be well positioned. Let's take a small hedge in Bitcoin. I mean, the Ivy League is doing it. I know tons of institutions are starting to do it. The problem is, and I think what keeps me up at night a little bit, is that 
these pension funds, like the one we contribute to, which, mind you, is now governed at a level way above even our pension board. Like this is one board at the state level that's making all these decisions. It's totally out of our hands. We're a tiny, tiny voice in this in this huge system. But these government pension plans are going to be some of the last to move by and large. I'm guessing you agree. I I do. I I think that the two of us should maybe um, revisit the essay idea, maybe try to get ourselves a seat at the table in front of that pension board and try to push this a little harder. But maybe maybe fly in Preston Pish and Foss the boss and bring him down to Springfield, Illinois and do some dirty work. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they both have. I'm sure Foss has got somebody that can beat people up in the parking lot for us get things done in Illinois you got to beat people up I mean physical violence is the only thing that works in politics here yeah it's going to be an uphill battle there's no doubt about that now if if we were if you and I were in in Springfield right now or we were speaking to the Houston pension board who's and whoever's managing their money or any pension fund for that matter what where would you actually start like you've been enlisted as a consultant, a Bitcoin pension consultant to make oh, this man. decision. Where would, where I think it really depends on how much time you have, because I think as the two of us know, we can talk about this stuff for hours. And I think the first place to start is purely with numbers. I think backtesting some of this over a period of time and showing them, look, like this small allocation can make an outsized difference in the performance of your portfolio. And I think that the immediate problem you're going to have from people that don't understand the space is, well, there's like 10,000 different crypto assets to choose from. Why are we going to choose Bitcoin? And the problem with that is the rabbit hole to explain that is the depth and breadth of how much there is to impart for somebody just new to the space to convince them that Shiba Inu or Dogecoin or Ethereum may not be the best asset to be buying in this in this crypto world that's going on right now or DeFi or any of these other things, how imparting on them, the, the, how much decentralization matters in all of this, how much the path dependency of Bitcoin from its inception till now and how nothing can ever be created in the same manner with the same characteristics without being completely impaired at birth by either uh, people that are around it, just trying to get rich quick or a government killing it right off the bat, or any numerous other problems that could definitely rear their ugly head in the beginning of some kind of project similar to this, it's it's really hard to help people understand what makes this different and sets it apart from the XRPs and the XLMs of the world. Yeah, you education's know? a huge hurdle to start, for sure. And there's so much confusion, and it takes so long to understand this asset class for a lot of people that just have no motivation to dive into it and everybody thinks they missed the boat you know like oh dude it's already at sixty thousand. like how much more upside could there possibly be for an asset that went from zero to sixty thousand in 12 10 12 years and yeah it's it's gonna be and then you, you know the argument like the addressable market is hundreds of billions or i mean sorry hundreds of trillions of dollars and Bringing that to the table right off the bat is they're going to laugh you out of the room. Like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? This is going to be worth hundreds of trillions of dollars. Like it, especially for people in that legacy finance system is you, you know, talked about your friend who 
laughs about it a couple of years ago and now it's starting to come around a little bit, but it's still something that's still so niche that it's really hard to, in a short period of time, turn somebody, especially somebody who thinks they understand this financial world and they're not willing to kind of have to step outside the box that they reside in and take a look from a different angle. And his, and someone that's been right for 40 years. I, yeah, yeah that I mean, that's the other well. challenge to this. Yeah. Yep. I, I do think a lot of it's just going to lead. It's just going to be dominoes. One app, like you're going to have to have a lot of funds move in more Bitcoin centric states. Like it's no wonder Houston's the first mover because they're in Texas and Texas is becoming Bitcoin country and there's a lot of mining and Bitcoin companies. It's just a magnet right now for the space. And so people are more in that mindset. I'm not surprised they were the first ones to move. I think it's going to be a lot harder in states like ours, but math speaks and performance speaks as more funds take this position and succeed mm -hmm. in doing so. And their unfunded liabilities diminish and their rate of funding increases and all that stuff, it's going to raise eyebrows around the country. And I think that's my hope because here's what makes me optimistic. The Bitcoin upside is far from over, Josh. So we're at whatever, upper 50,000s today. 100,000 is going to be just the beginning. 200,000 is still going to be early. 300,000 is going to look cheap eventually. And it's just going to keep going up and up. So it's not like I do think there's time is kind of the point I'm making. If, if convictions not there for these funds today, they have, they, they are going to be able to go through the process of learning and watching other successes, and then maybe still have time to get on board and capture some of that upside. Well, the last pension meeting we had, I posed the question to, they bring, um, I'm not even sure what his title is. I'll just call him a quant for lack of a better word. Cause everyone likes, everyone thinks that sounds edgy and, super intelligent. But so this guy is basically the guy who sits in front of us and gives us their five minute spiel of how the economy is doing, where he sees things going and how things are going to work out in his worldview. So after he was done, he asked, they always ask if you have any questions. And I was like, can you explain to me? And, and I'm not going to sit here and say that I completely understand the bond market up and down. I know probably more than the average bird, but I'm not an expert by any means. But I wanted to hear from him, a purported expert, how is it that bonds are continuing to trade, some of them negative, like who in their right mind is is allocating money to bonds right now? Like who are these people? Who are the who are the fools at the table, essentially is what I was asking him. And he he went on for like three minutes about basically how all of these funds are mandated to buy bonds. And the, what I took from it overall is like, yeah, we all know this is a giant sham. Nobody in their right mind is buying bonds unless they're forced to. And I asked them then, so the Fed has to literally print money and turn around and buy bonds for this thing to be propped up. How can that go on? And his response was basically like, I don't know. That was his basic response. So it's all, everybody knows the, what the problem is here. So it's it's revealing that fact to these guys at the table. Like, look, we all know this is a charade. If you understand this, you know it's a charade and you know it's effectively a Ponzi where the last guy holding the cards is the one who's fucked. Yeah. 
So once they, uh, once they have that fundamental understanding, it's a simple push as to, well, where do you think this is going to go after that happens? Right. And dude, the sad thing to say is when you, when you think about bond market implosion, you know that a lot of people are going to be left holding bags. Yeah. And what saddens me is it's very likely that pension funds like ours are going to be the ones that are left holding the bag because they were slow movers. Yeah. And in that world, a 1% allocation to something like Bitcoin or, you know, Bitcoin, arguably gold, some commodities. I mean, I would encourage commodity ownership in your portfolio as well, but anything that can't be literally printed, you know, anything that's not like a paper financial asset is something you want to own. You don't want to own the, you know, you don't want to own the bonds that have been resold and sent and five different people think they own them when this whole thing implodes. Based on your math, and I'm totally there with you, you could literally start in these meetings with 1%. Folks, can we take 1% and that 1 100th of the portfolio could be the answer to keeping these things solvent? Mind blowing. It's uh, the math here doesn't lie, and it's it's um, it's wild. And not only solvent, but also removing some of the burden from taxpayers. Yeah, I think uh, over the longer period of time, ten to twenty years, completely. Like these these funds, these funds will be completely self sustainable with three to seven hundred percent, you know, over their. Uh, over their liabilities. It's crazy. We can only hope that we can, uh, we can impart this knowledge and onto the people in the right places and hope they're not such boomers that they can't wrap their brain around it. We'll have to bring out Foss the boss, man. That's our only hope. <laughs> Maybe um, we should try to sell them NFTs. Like if our <laughs> yeah. pension fund could buy one crypto punk, <laughs> just one, one crypto punk rock, one NFT rock that could get us, out of the trench we're in. Could do it. Um, I'm guessing we've lost probably 90% of the audience at this point. Um, it's one of them we had to do. Who gives a shit about pensions unless you have one? If you're stuck with us and you don't have a pension, you're a loser. I don't, I don't know, <laughs> know what else to say. Yeah, this is an episode that had to happen based on the Houston news. Um, we're going to keep hammering it. We've talked about it with Greg. We're planning, based on some events today, to talk to Preston in the near future. We're going to talk to him about this. This is definitely one of our missions here, in all seriousness. We're not kidding around. This isn't fun and games. We would like to collect the pensions we're guaranteed. We would like our coworkers to collect them. And I think this is as good a time as any to say, do I want every single person that's guaranteed a pension to theoretically get it? Sure. Do I think they will? No. I do, however, think that a case can be made that first responders and military are some of the only people that, I don't know, if could, could genuinely benefit from these defined plans in the sense that our careers are shorter, shorter there's more physical risk, disability benefit is more important. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a topic that hits close to home for us, for our families and, and those that we work with. Yeah. And in the case that we're wrong and the pensions still fail, um, we're going to do another episode on what kind of cat food 
is the best time to purchase for your uh, pantry in the case yep. your pension fails. We got some uh, retirees that very well may be eventually eating cat food. (laughs) 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 Or living in my basement, one of the two. I think we should have led with that. We probably would have retained more (laughs) listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. We're going to... We're going to cut it there, folks. We have um, a very special month coming up. We have four guests lined up. We're excited about every single one of them. Uh, I know you'll enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thanks for listening into the show. If you enjoyed this discussion, be sure to subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts. And if you have an extra minute, go ahead and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at blue underscore collar BTC. We invite questions, comments, and inquiries of any kind, and our email is bluecollarbitcoinpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to you joining us next time on the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast.